You're listening to the She's Unshakable podcast. I'm your host, Fleur Lonsdale. And if you're looking to create incredible courage, resilience, and unshakable belief in yourself, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, I'll be interviewing incredible adventurers, athletes, and entrepreneurs to dig deep into the strategies and tools they use to create unwavering courage and belief so that you can learn how to never give up on your goals and achieve the life of your dreams. Welcome to this episode with Jessie Shedden, who is the author of These Boots Are Made For Walking. And we talk about her story today of being brought up in a cult, the challenges and the struggles that she went through, including her mum getting cancer, abuse, bullying, and how she decided to get out of there, how she did get out of there, what her life has been like since then, and all of the little things in between. Now, this is such an amazing story. I absolutely loved doing this episode. It's very different to a lot of my normal episodes, but I know that you will learn and take a lot from this as well. So enjoy and share away because guaranteed this is going to change some lives. Jessie, welcome to the She's Unshakable podcast. We finally got on, even though we had so many technical issues this morning. How are you? That was exciting. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. I'm stoked to have you here with us today. Um, I can't wait for you to share your story with our listeners. Um, I know it's going to be a very exciting podcast for the both of us. So before we dig in deeper as to your story and everything that's gone on for you, I would love to know, do you have a morning routine? That's a really interesting one because I was brought up to... And uh, yes, I was like always a big early riser, a very strict routine. And I think after everything that's happened, I'm looking a lot more at the minute as to healing and I'm going with what my body feels. So I've really lightened up on that side while I heal from the last few years. But I still have an alarm that goes off at 5.30, but I just take it quite gentle and a lot of um, self-love first thing. What kind of stuff do you do for self-love? Um, like time with my partner, which is quality time first thing that we both get, and reading, um, and just really tuning into what is it I need. Do I need another twenty minutes first thing of sleep, or am I ready to get out there and pump straight away? Pump. <laughs> awesome, love it. So let's get going. Let's tell you tell us a little bit about you, your story, um, and everything that you've been through so far. Uh, that would not be short. <laughs> Doesn't need um, to be short. So I've been bullied now for 23 years for my appearance and my dyslexia. So that kind of started around the age of eight. Um, I was sexually abused at the age of 16. Through, just under three years ago, I escaped the religious cult I was brought up in, which I've been wanting to leave for about 15 years. So that's roughly my backstory. <laughs> um, and then... Just, just a little last, bit. No, no, you go, you go, you carry on. Uh, the last three years really have been about healing and finding out who I was, and just and really trying to find my way in a brand new world. Um, that's that's provided for a very interesting canvas. Um, I, <laughs> I've had three relationships in a year, which is not. I'm not necessarily proud of but I'm glad I got rid of some of them um and then there's been things like trying to decide what the right route was for me business wise 
actually having the opportunity to have hobbies and things which I'd not had before and just really adjusting to new circumstances. May I ask how old you are now? I, 34, just gone 34. Right, so 15, 15 years ago you would have been 20. Um, so you... Yes, so, yeah, 19, yeah. And how old were you when you went into this cult originally? I was, I was born in it. Okay, and so you've, you've only just recently come out three years ago. Yes. So tell us the story of, well, I mean, I don't know really much about cults or what they even entail. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a background about how you were brought up, like what happened for you. Well, um, I guess the interesting thing is, for me, I've only really seen it as a cult in the last few months, I suppose, because when you're brought up in it, you're so brainwashed, you just think it's normal. Um, You know there are things you can't do and would like to do, but you don't necessarily see the starkness of how it's not normal, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, So, growing up, there was absolutely no TV, no radio, um could not go to any pubs clubs night nightclubs anything like that no bars um it was a religious one so there was church every night during the week and then during the day on weekends four times on a sunday starting at five o'clock in the morning um we only ate and drank and socialized with those within the cult we weren't able to have relationships outside of it friendships outside of it um, there's a long list. Uh, there were a lot of things women were not able to do. Um, for instance, having businesses unless their husband had kind of died or left and they needed to be a breadwinner for the household. Um, uh, there's an enormous list. Sure. <laughs> I could go on yeah, and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> might give you an idea. Okay, of course. And so, I mean, what... What made you decide to leave? Like, what what was the turning point when you were 19 to say, hang on a minute, this isn't something that I want to be in at the moment? I think as I grew up, like, with the bullying, I kind of realised that I, I felt different to a lot of the ones around me, and I didn't... I've just always been a rebel. I've never been a sheep. I've never followed unquestioningly. Mm. And the thought of being in a relationship with somebody that didn't use their intellect for themselves was definitely not something I wanted to do so I kind of always felt even from around 16 I was always going to end up in a relationship with someone outside the cult and then at 18 I met someone Um, and we kind of dated in secret for about four years which as you can imagine was a massive amount of pressure when every minute of your day is accounted for. So you weren't allowed Um, to actually be in a relationship with anyone outside that was one of the rules? Yes yes it was yeah 100 percent um and then that came to light that all had to be finished with um and that for me was actually much more traumatic than I ever realized in the sense that instantly I had to cut off someone that saw something in me when so many others around didn't Mm. so I hadn't just lost a love I'd lost hope Mm. um and overnight, and there was no grieving process, what I'd done was wrong, so it wasn't talked about. And that left a lot of scarring, which I didn't realise until years down the line. And then there was a period of time we had absolute no contact. And in 
2016, my mother was suddenly diagnosed with cancer at the age of 66, and it just came home to me. I was like, I, I just... I don't know if tomorrow is promised anymore. Mm. She was the last person we expected to lose. We were all, um, she was eight years younger than my father, and we'd always planned for my father passing first, so everything was set up for her after he had passed. And it didn't turn out like that, and I think it just really shook us, and I was like, well, I can't guarantee how much longer I've got, and there's so many things I want to do that are not in the life I'm currently leading. Yeah. And, and that was my wake-up call, 14th of February 2016, never forget it, the day we got the news, and it was like, I just can't do this anymore. I'm surrendering who I am, and I'm just having the life squeezed out of me. Was there anyone else, uh, like, within you, within the cult, that that was on your wavelength, that understood what you were going, kind of thinking and going through at the time? Would... Nobody that I could openly talk to. Right. So there wasn't actually anyone that you could speak to without them thinking they were going to tell someone? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, You might get an inkling that somebody else might feel dissatisfied and you might discuss some of the dissatisfaction you had, but you would never talk about leaving with anybody, ever. Couldn't. Right. And how many of you were there? How how big was this? Globally, it's about 50,000. Wow. Uh, what about non-globally? <laughs> um, um, so where I was located, there was about 200 of us. And then we saw um, probably about 1,000 in the wider area on a, on a semi-regular basis. But we were well connected. So we knew, like I know a lot of them around the globe and definitely a lot across England as well. Right. And did you ever speak to anyone outside of it, you know, um, about what, what went on? Was that a conversation that you ever had? No, not really. Um, I think there was a mass... For me, it was a lot about disloyalty. You know, I might not have been happy with it, but to actually be disloyal and discuss it with somebody outside who wouldn't see it through my eyes of having been in it was opening myself up to be... I felt like I'd be criticised, if you, if that kind of makes sense. By the outsiders or by the insiders? Yeah. By the outsiders. Yeah, judged, judged by the outsiders. Like, wow, you know, how can you let that... And it's like but you've grown up in it, so you it's normal for you. Right. I so think you, I was scared of having questions I couldn't answer. Okay. Yeah, interesting. So you almost kept everything that was going on for you just inside because you couldn't speak to anyone inside and you couldn't speak to anyone outside. Absolutely. What a wonderful way to start overthinking everything. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean... That obviously, with with anything in life, you know, if we keep it to ourselves and we have no one to talk to about what's going on for us, it eats us away. It, I mean, for me, that's that's a way of really causing disease in us because we are completely out of balance with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how did you deal with that? Through depression, I guess. Okay, so talk to us about so, that a little bit. Um. I definitely went a lot more in on myself, a lot more, like even socialising, because there was a lot of socialising that went on. But when you're not thinking the same as other people you and and when you want to speak out and you shouldn't because you're a woman, you shut down very quickly and you distance yourself. Um, journaling wasn't even something I could do because it would be discovered. And IT, we didn't have a lot of computers. Um, originally, we certainly didn't have a computer each. So you didn't have your own to save anything on. 
it, it was just a lot of imploding internally and it, it got to the point around 2016 when I was just going I'm looking at a brick wall in front of me or suicide mm. or a chance at a new life in a world I don't even know mm. yeah I can imagine that must have been rather scary do you have any brothers and sisters I do I have six sisters and a brother well <laughs> yeah and are you still in contact with them no right okay um, I had a slight amount of contact with my father, but since the book um, I've just published my memoir has been out, I think that will lessen off. Right, okay. And is your mum still around? No, sadly, she passed uh, 16 months after diagnosis. Oh, crikey. And so, so how, that was... how did your family deal <clears throat> with that at the time? With her passing? Mm-hmm. That was a a really hard one for me because I left six months before she passed and it was the hardest thing I ever did to leave when your mother's, you know, you're one of the primary carers for your mother and you feel like you're walking out on her for your own life. Um, And then being an outsider to her suffering when you had been involved day to day on intimate details, it was incredibly hard. Um, So how they coped I don't feel like I actually know because I was such an outsider right if that makes sense were you still able to see your mum once you'd left yes yes I was nothing like as freely as the others um but I did I was able to visit twice daily when she was in the hospice and that kind of thing um and I was able to attend her part of her funeral service just part of it but we yeah that was almost a a joint, uh, an unspoken agreement between both parties. Um, I think I would have found it hard to be at all of it because it would have meant surrendering who I now was and going back to the old. But I also think they weren't necessarily happy about me being in the church itself. Um, so, I'd, yeah, it was just at the graveside, but that was something I'm always grateful I did, mm-hmm. but it certainly wasn't easy. Never is, never is. And a, a random question, did, were they happy with you leaving? Like, how did you leave? Oh, no, definitely uh, not. No, I didn't think um, so. To leave, <laughs> yeah, to, leave, to leave is totally doing the unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Um, for, to give you kind of an example, in the place where I lived, the, the previous person to have left was 23 years prior to me. Um, so it seldom happens. And Crikey. I basically had to flee as much as I could undetected. And how did you do that? Um, so I was smuggling out um, my my items into a storage container, um, having to give other reasons as to why I was out and about, and also making sure I had some proof when I came back that I had done those other things. Um, so whether I said I went to a shop or went to do some photography, I had to come back with something, as well as be able to do what I was trying to do. Um, some of the larger items, like my bedroom furniture and things, I had said I had sold and needed to deliver um <laughs> and I it, it was it was crippling actually really crippling because I hated deceiving the people I loved the most yeah and yet I had to do it for myself right and I also a lot of the things I was would have thrown out I kept at, till the end to make it still look like I was there even though so much had left mm-hmm. if, if 
that makes sense. Did, surely someone um, must have clocked on to that, like once furniture and stuff was leaving and all of the rest of your stuff was like disappearing slowly. Surely someone must have been like, huh, your room's like empty. There was definitely certain suspicions, but the main focus was my mother's cancer treatment and I was living with them. So that was a lot of our focus was on that. Um, unfortunately for me, my plan got foiled um, when I set up a postal redirect and the notification came through to my father. And then it was like, so why are you having your mail redirected? So I, I was rumbled and that meant um, even more I had to flee because the pressure was then applied to stay. And I ended up leaving um, on a Sunday evening instead of the Tuesday when I intended to. What well, When you say pressure was like put on you to to make you stay like what what are we talking about here like what kind of pressure was put on you in a lot of emotional pressure um that we don't want you to go there's a lot of tears and crying it wasn't anger mm-hmm. um there was contact with members higher up in the hierarchy within the church um offers to fly you to australia or to give you money in a promise that you know we can make this better what you're suffering the pain you're going through what you what you're unhappy with we can take away well they they tried to to promise that everything would be fine kind of thing yes and how did that make you feel it wasn't unexpected i've seen it done to a number of others before um and i knew already it, it wasn't something i wanted to do it wasn't answering my my needs yeah your desire hey your soul's desire yes um wow i mean it's 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 pretty crazy i'm i'm quite i in my mind i'm like imagining this like prison with a gate that you're only allowed in and out of and you have to have like a note to leave is that is that kind of what it's like or is this just in my head it's it kind of is but it's a very nice one so it's like where I was living was beautiful um and I didn't you know it was was home it was very much home it was lovely we weren't I wasn't deprived of you know we were on two-thirds of an acre we had a river running through the back garden each of the bedrooms had en suites you know it was beautiful I couldn't have asked for more and it was home but it wasn't love right and what is Uh, love for you right now like what now, now I've really come to understand unconditional love mm-hmm. and my parents loved me but it, and they still do and we have a, a lovely contact but as in a, a love connection sorry but it's conditional it's on you doing what, what I approve of mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's uh, it's exquisite to feel someone loving you regardless mm-hmm. and I am unbelievably blessed now to have a fiance and his family that show me that and it's just so moving and touching you just feel bathed in it and it's uh, i can't find words for it yeah i don't think you need to i think everyone can feel it um and it is very interesting to think that you like i mean we we have this a lot right in in the in the world essentially where and I've done many a podcast on this of what we should be doing, you know, what our parents are bringing us in this world and want us to do. And it was the same with me, you know, 
my brothers and sisters, we were all, you know, told to go to university, told to get a good, um, good education, uh, told to basically go and work in finance and banks in London because that's where we would be able to make all the money and basically live the life that we want. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Last thing I wanted to do is go to work in a bank. <laughs> especially because I saw you know my brother my, my my eldest brother do it and he worked you know 12 13 hours a day I didn't see him I had like it was like he just disappeared off this planet because he went and got a job in London and I was like what this isn't life that's not how I want to live that's not how anyone should be living why why are you doing that and I was like oh this is what you know this is what dad wants us to do this is going to be the best thing for us in our life and that for me, I, I we've got a big gap between me and my eldest brother, but it just, it was right in front of my face as a child of going, what, are you going to live like the rest of your life doing that for money? Like, are you sure? <laughs> and I have like no qualms with money, but it was a really interesting moment for me and being able to see what someone's story can be put pressure on you to do the thing that they missed out on in their life yes whether it's good or whether it's not good yes and it's so interesting just to hear your story is very much the same as many people's stories but in a very different context (laughs) and I, I hear that a lot from people around me you know you've given inspired me to do what I feel is right for my life rather than society's asking absolutely and it's so amazing I mean it's funny because I actually was in contact with another a girl in New Zealand who um, has a similar story to you but it sounds a lot less freeing than yours um, to be honest I I read her story and it was you know a bit more uh, I guess torturous in a sense and not yeah it, it didn't sound like a good place to be at all, but very much the same thing. You know, women have really no say in what goes on and they're just there to kind of be a mum to children and be a mum, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this world where we have so many options, there are so many things that we can do and, you know, a world of abundance, feeling caught up in that must just be crazy especially if you don't know what's outside right like I don't think they were even they their school was inside their cult everything was inside same yeah same oh right I thought you said your your school was outside no no okay yeah education was within um I I had the first two years at um public school and then I was out homeschooled because of my age but nowadays uh, from I think it's the age of probably seven they educate them all within the community right okay and so when you say that you were bullied you were bullied within within the cult yes and how was that dealt with <sighs> or was on it dealt a, with on a le- on a local level as in from my family's side we were always taught to turn the other cheek, you know, just just to kind of ignore it, um, not fight back. There were, I don't know if edicts is the right word, but there were kind of um, messages put out from higher up in the hierarchy that bullying's not acceptable, but it happened, right? It was rife, completely rife. Um, and 
I don't really put it down to being that particular cult. I think it happens in mm. any sure. tight circle, tight knit circle of people, business or church or wherever. Um, it's just, it's kind of an abuse. Yeah, it's just a, something I'm sure it would have happened had I been educated outside of the, the community as well. Just because if you're an outlier, then you tend to stand out and people either hate that or they love that. Mm, yeah for sure and so give me one of the you know the most challenging moments that you that you had to go through other than actually leaving it can be leaving if that was the biggest challenge for you was to to finally leave that was pretty major um since then probably publishing my memoir because now there's nowhere to hide mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know it's, it's out there you've exp- I, i've never felt so naked <laughs> really um despite having done nude photo shoots you're suddenly revealing <laughs> a lot more than just your body you're revealing your soul um and that's yeah that's been that's been pretty i was excited to do it but also you know you can't take it back it's out there now and it's you kind of need to stand behind who you are which I do but it just reinforces it if that makes sense how does that make you feel I think I keep looking at it from both sides of the of the coin it's like it's it feels amazing because you know you've got the opportunity to touch a lot of people but you also know you're very responsible for how you act because those people are watching you in, in what way do you mean the way that you act? Like, from now on? Yeah, and I think, the, like, for me, I'm like, I want to... What I want to convey and what I say and what I do should be in line with my values and who I am. Um, in terms of wanting to be a good example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it just really makes you think twice uh, is this you know is this something I'm going to be proud of later on down the line um or, or and not not that it's not that you shouldn't be yourself absolutely you should but just tempers I think it tempers what I do a little bit because you realize you know you've you kind of thrust yourself out there in the in the spotlight now and you need to act in a way that shows what you've learnt <laughs> I think it's the best way I can put it girl I think you're putting like way too much pressure on yourself I think you just need to go do you know what I just wrote a book damn that's awesome I rocked that and you know what there's going to be people who aren't going to like that book and there's going to be people okay. who love that book the people who don't like it they are not your tribe the people that do they're your tribe just concentrate on the ones that like it you're always going to get negativity but that does not mean that you should put any pressure on yourself on how you are living your life. By no means. you just got to go do what you want to do. Otherwise, you're just yes, no, you're, I agree. you're I still agree. living in the way that you were living Sometimes before. Sometimes I've been a bit knee-jerk or I've done something in haste and thought, 
wow, that really wasn't my proudest moment. And it kind of just makes you double think a little bit, like, hmm, am I going to do one of those again? And probably, and that would be another learning experience for everybody. Right, exactly. <laughs> we can't live life like without making mistakes and doing things that we maybe wish we hadn't done. Life would be boring otherwise. We would never do anything, right? Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, going back to actually getting out, like, where did you go? Like, did you have money? Like, what? Like, I'm, I'm so intrigued by this. Yes, I did. And to be honest, my escape wasn't as hard as many. Um, because I'd left about the age of 30, 30, 31, I had been able to put by money. And I had also been thinking about it for a period of time. So I hadn't gone out and squandered my money. Um, I had money. I had figured out what I wanted to do about my job situation. And although extremely hard, I had gone and viewed a few properties and I was able, I was, the reason I was leaving on the Tuesday was because I would have had the rented property in my possession by then. Um, I didn't want to go into something like a B&B as I, I knew that where I went had to be home. It had to feel safe. It had to feel protective for me emotionally because I was going to be in a very raw place for that first mm. period of time. Yeah. Totally. So I looked, I, there was a couple outside of the community that I'd started to get a little bit of contact with. Um, and she made a comment one day to my parents saying, oh, we'd love to adopt her. It was completely at random. And I just thought, right, that's my lead. Mm-hmm. These are the guys I need to reach out to. And I was able to couch surf there for the first night. And then we got in the very next day. And... I was set up. And again, thankfully, because I had a chunk of money behind me, I was able to choose a place that I felt right rather than being governed by what I could afford. Yeah. And that that meant a lot. So had you been, had you gone to, I I don't know how the education works, you obviously have your primary school and secondary school within, like within the community Mm -hmm. and then a college as well. And what about like degrees and stuff? No, not at all. So did personally, you... I actually I didn't even pass any of my GCSEs. That's not typical. Yeah, that was partly because of my dyslexia and because of the sexual abuse I had at the time. I was not in a great place, and they permitted me to kind of flunk and come out and go straight into work at my father's workplace. Um, but they would do GCSEs and A levels, but that's where it would stop. Okay, um, and would would people go to university, or was that not a thing? No. Definitely not. Even the men? Yes. Yeah, nobody would go. Right. And so you'd go basically from college or or school and straight into work? Yes. But they are now, I believe, although I've been out for a while now, um, they are permitting distance learning. So they would do online degrees. So I had, um, when I left, I had a diploma in business administration that I had done online whilst I was working. Okay. And what did your dad do? What was the job that he did? He was a serial entrepreneur, um, so I worked in a number of his businesses. The one I came out and went into was um, paper and envelopes. So we were supplying a lot of the big companies like um, Haven Holidays or NatWest Bank with their printed stationery. Okay, cool. And so you were able to actually make money and that, that money went into your bank account? Yes, yes, it did. And there was a kind of a tithing process, but yeah, you very much had your own money. You were given guidance as to where to give it in terms of um, 
funding for the schools or maybe there were needs within the community mm-hmm. but it was yours and it was in it was in a bonafide bank account okay that you only had access to yes right so that's how you managed to save up some money right yes yeah okay. and to be fair the 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 positions were well paid in fact so well paid that i i wouldn't get the same outside of the cult oh so it was a cult that actually paid you your your wage no they would no it was my it was my father's own business um but the rates of pay were encouraged within there was guidance given within the cult as to you know what to pay so that right and you know it wasn't like he was doing it um the business could afford to do it. It wasn't like he was doing it just because they said it. Mm. It had to make business sense, but they were inflated rates of pay. Cool. That's a bonus, I guess, for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was, actually. Not. I mean, I think when it's a family business, you put your heart and soul into it anyway. Sure. If, 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 you know, if you're that way-minded. Um, and I did. So he sold a number of his, and I was with him till, you know, till the end of each of those, wrapping them up and selling them, and they're not, that's not a pleasant thing to do when you put a lot of effort into it. But I also had my exit plan worked out from that as well, because uh, there were two. I was actually in two jobs as I left, and I was, I knew how I wanted to leave both of those. Okay, cool. And I, I'd love to just dig in a little bit to like assault, I guess, if you, if you're open to talking about it, of course. Um, how did that come about? I think one thing I'd like to say is that it was not within the community, it was from someone outside. Okay. Um, the hardest thing, how did it come about? <laughs> it was interesting, I was literally just talking to my partner about this last night. Uh, the kind of people that are involved in that are the people that serve you your Costa coffee. Um, they're the people that... No offence to anyone who works at Costa. no. No, absolutely not. But check out your goods at the supermarket. You know, These—it's not like you have to hang out at two o'clock in the morning, dressed in next to nothing on the street corner, to have this happen. And that was—that was how it happened. If you're not—I mean, it's just in your daily walk of life when you go into the supermarket and you bump into people and they start grooming you. Um, I don't know that I want to go too deep into detail, sure. but I will just say that it wasn't seen for sexual abuse when it happened um so I lived for well until I left so 15 years thinking that I'd brought it on myself mm-hmm. and that it was all my fault um and that you know I'd been a bad person and had a relationship with somebody um and that took a while to heal as well and know that I wasn't actually at fault there and to undo that <clears throat> I think that's probably um a mindset that many women get put into mm-hmm. and we can see that more and more now I think when women are coming out and speaking about these things that have happened to them especially when they thought that maybe it was normal or maybe it was their fault and they had brought it on themselves and it's a really scary thing to think that, uh, I mean, I don't know, were you able to talk to anyone about what went on? Not 
from the viewpoint of uh, being a victim, if that makes sense. Um, You were able to speak to people about what happened, but you weren't allowed to say that you didn't want it to happen? I think more... um, My sister was aware of the situation, but she viewed it as me doing something wrong rather than it being done to me and then uh, effectively grasped on me. So told um, uh, my parents about the situation to alleviate something she was involved with herself. So here's a, here's a worse sin, have a look at this one, because then it will sure. let me off the hook. Mm-hmm. Kind of a bit of a plea deal. Um, and that only really intensified my pain and suffering. Yeah, no way. No, I mean, no kidding. Um, uh, like, Reconciliation there has been hard, <laughs> let's just say. I mean, what, what was the reaction of your parents? one of the hardest things was just having your room ransacked and then there's kind of like a white elephant in the room it's like we don't talk about it but we know something's happened and um there was taking me to see a psychiatrist who was part of the cult um and then there was seeing priests because I had done what was wrong and then these you know these were these ironically these were priests they were men of a very similar age to the one who had done this to me and you're talking about intimate details to them and there's there's really not the compassion or the understanding or the empathy that you need at that point in time yeah no kidding that's crazy hey and then there's, you know, where's the contrition that you've done wrong? And it's like, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> I have a look through my eyes. But that wasn't, you know, I wasn't even, that was a, a very whisper in the back of my mind because you're not aware that's the situation at the time. Right. Yeah. You're just kind of going with it thinking you're in the wrong. Uh, it's your fault and I can't talk to this. I can't talk to anyone about it. Because everyone yeah. wants to put it under the rug. Yes, yeah, it's very much, I want to curl up in a fetal position and just hide. And how did you, like, how did you work through that? I mean, being there and having that happen and having no one essentially to support you or understand you at the very least, like, how did you, how did you get through that yourself? I think you compartmentalise, you just put it in a box and you put it to one side because there is no way of dealing with it. You don't have the support or the understanding at the time Mm -hmm. to deal with it. It was one of the things I dealt with as I started seeing a counsellor as I was leaving. Mm -hmm. I I started seeing one just before leaving and it was him that helped me to realise I could could leave, I could do this. and gave me some of my power back. Um, And we worked through that together and, and... just hearing that you were a victim and not the perpetrator and not you know it wasn't consensual it wasn't you actually asking for this was a it was actually really hard because there's still a lot of blame and trying to work through that I think takes layers Mm. takes time totally yeah 
I mean, you have been through a lot. I mean, there's so many people in the world that, that go through so much and it still blows me away at how, you know, easy my life has been in a sense, <laughs> which is um, which is crazy. I love having these conversations and love being able to to bring this out into the world because, you know, hopefully this will make more people speak about their stories and share them with other people as well. Um, what's the name of your book? Those Boots Were Made For Walking. Those Boots Made Walking. And can you buy it already? Yes, it's on Amazon. Yeah, Fab. both Kindle and paperback are on Amazon now. They were out just earlier this week. Cool, but I shall... Don't mind me adding. Yeah. It's very easy to think I haven't been through what other people have been through, but you've been through your own things in your own life because I, I minimise mine. You know, sure. my sexual assault wasn't like some of the sexual assault other people have had. My escape wasn't as hard as other people's. But it was big for you in your life. Mm-hmm. It was your battle. And I think, yes, there's always somebody out there that's had worse. And that has always been for me like, okay, this hasn't killed me yet, so I can do this, <laughs> which is kind of like your way of moving forward. But to acknowledge what was big in your own life wasn't small. It was still big for you. Does that make, do you know what I'm trying to oh, convey? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, yeah. And yeah, a very important, a very important point as well, I think. But we all, we all need to give each other just grace. We all just yes. need to, if we just saw the love in everyone in this world, it would be a much easier place to be living in. That's for sure. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, I mean, that's a, we've gone through quite a lot already and um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sitting here almost shaking. I'm not shaking, but I can, I can feel your energy. Like I can... I can feel what's going on for you, which is really interesting. You've certainly brought a lot up. I didn't expect to feel so many emotions as you've brought up. It's very interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised. And I, to be honest, I thought you might, you know, um, not break down, but, but have a few. I, I mean, I would. I'm, I'm always feeling that way. So maybe I'm just feeling what you're just going through. But since, like, since breaking through, like, what... How do you feel now? In the overall, I, f- I see myself as healing a lot. I, I try to be very gentle because I know I'm still doing a lot of healing. Yeah. Um, sometimes I feel like a kid in a candy shop. You know, <laughs> it's like there's, there's so many things I can do now that I couldn't do before. I, I kind of, I, I just talking to my partner about it, he, you know, it's like for year, 20 odd years, he's gone to the same place for holiday every year. And I'm like, how can you do that? There are so many places in the world you can explore. You know, I wasn't able to do this. You know, I want to visit them all. I've got every every one of the 52 states in America on my list I want to hit. And that's just America. You know, you, you can go anywhere. How can you limit yourself like this? Because you didn't have that before. And I think it accentuates it. And... Yeah, it's it's a bit like walking out of a prison. It's like, why would you go and live and Next in your one. house and stay there if you've just come out of prison? You wouldn't. You know, you want your freedom, you value it. And I think another thing that was really important for me after leaving was to get some understanding around the areas that I had the least, I had been equipped for the least. And relationships was definitely one of those. So I did a few workshops on that, which were mind-blowing, completely changed my concept and understanding of how relationships work, but also helped me break out of the victim mentality 
which I, after everything that's happened, is very easy to stay in and be held back by. Yeah, that is such a big lesson in itself. Um, I mean, and you, and you see this a lot. You might, you probably see this even more actually from coming, coming from it yourself. But watching people that stay in that victim mentality for the whole of like the whole of their life because. Okay. That's just what they think is normal. I'd love to know, like, how how did you break through that or what kind of things did you incorporate in your life in order to, to break through that? I think one thing that was really, really clear to me when I left was everything I'd heard before leaving was those that leave are all bitter and twisted and, you know, they've got so much anger and I was like, that's one thing I really don't want to do and I can't think of a worst way to live once I've left because I, I'm leaving because I don't want anything more to do with this and I want to have a good life. So that is absolutely not a choice for me. I want to go out there and make the most of things and it so much so that I didn't contact anybody who had left until literally during lockdown um, because I was just like, I want, I just want this fresh start life. I don't want anyone to know what's happened in my past. I want... I just want to go out and make the most of everything. And then through lockdown, I gingerly started reaching out. And I was like, wow, there's actually a lot of healing because they're not all bitter and twisted. A lot of them are in pain, but they're also helping me to see what I've been through and the enormity of what I've been through and actually how significant a thing I've done. And that in itself was a lot of healing. Mm. Um. And it's just, yeah, I think that's, I don't know if I've really answered your question, but that's. When you were doing the, like your courses, because obviously I I totally know what you mean when it comes down to talking to people, especially people who've been in a similar situation to yourself. But when it comes down to that victim mentality that can get so ingrained in the way that you live very easily like are there any things that you'd maybe do on the daily basis to to try and make sure that you don't get back to that because obviously things don't just turn different overnight things change oh absolutely not so i'm just Um, wondering if there's anything that you do to get clear from that um i i yes i'm constantly learning like proactively learning um so i'm reading um and taking courses but I'm also being very careful about who I stay around and where I give my energy and Mm -hmm. it's taken it's it's still a work in progress so I'm constantly seeing it as I step into each new level I'm seeing okay I need to shed some people here because it's it's becoming a drag on the direction in which I'm trying to move it's unhealthy it's not helping me and it's one of the reasons I left the modeling that I was doing for a year it's like wow there's a lot of disrespect here there's a lot of emotional unhelpfulness there's there's you know comparing yourself to each other and so on and so forth and it's like I, I just I don't need that I've worked really hard to get to where I have and I'm not going to let something like that drag me back now and I think yeah I've just just this week it's like okay I've hit I've hit the next stage of where I want to go I need to start shedding some of what I've had around me because it's not and that that might sound really 
was going to say snooty. It might <laughs> sound like a snub on some people, but it's like, no, they're happy with where they are and that's their journey. Mm. Mine is going in a different direction. And that's who I need to take care of mm. at the minute is myself. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that. And that can be really difficult in itself. <laughs> yes, it, it can. It can be a real challenge. Um, you know, you've got people that you've known forever. They've always been a part of your life. And it doesn't mean that they then become not a part of your life. But it means you need to let go a little in order to have space for more things to come into your life. Can I put that ever so slightly differently from my viewpoint? Absolutely. I don't have people that have been in my life from no. forever because I'm, I've started over three years ago. So I feel like I'm, I'm shedding people at a really rapid rate as I'm, <laughs> as I'm moving fast. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, no, I, I don't really have any friends from 20 years ago. I mean, obviously I know people, but I'm not in contact with them. But it's like, wow, you know, I feel like I'm just shedding layers really quickly as, as I go on this journey. And it's just really fascinating to look at it. <laughs> Maybe like maybe it's easier that way, you know, because they're not they're not so deeply ingrained in your life. There is that side, and then I go, do they think she's just a flash in the pan? She's here today, gone tomorrow. Because I'm just, but I don't. I, you know, I hear them go, wow. You know, even though they don't keep up, they're still looking at that speck out in the distance somewhere, going, crikey, what happened there? <laughs> she's this rocket ship who just stopped by our planet for like a day, and now she's gone to the next one. <laughs> I remember saying that to my partner. I'm like, I, I can't guarantee I'm going to be with you forever. People seem to come in and out of my life for a reason at the minute. <laughs> Needless to say, we're very, very happy in our relationship. But it, it did very much feel like that. And still managed to put a ring on it. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, this is the real deal now. <laughs> That's good. I'm so glad for you. Okay, like, so let me, let me ask you one of my favourite questions. Now, you can either obviously say something we've already already spoken about or you can say something completely different it's completely up to you but I'd love to know what's one of the scariest things you've ever done maybe let's let maybe let's not have like leaving because I think that would mm. maybe be the scariest thing you'd do I've done a lot of scary things because right. once you leave everything's scary mm-hmm. I, you know even just walking down the street you're looking over your shoulder as to whether you're still being watched by those you've left and you don't have street smarts because you're always together. You're always in a protected bubble. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, have um, getting a hotel room in the middle of London in the winter and walking through the streets of London in the dark, that's jolly scary for a 30-year-old woman who hasn't been out in the wide world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> doing catwalk model routine in front of 200 women that's a plus size model that's jolly scary for the first time um yeah there's (laughs) there's a lot of crazy things what made you um decide to get into modeling chance completely chance and also I wanted it was healing for me because of having been bullied for my appearance and another one of the principles of the cult was we were not to cut our hair as women um it happened it happened a lot even though it was our founding principle that we shouldn't. And I was like, I'm in the club or I'm not in the club. I'm either going to do the rules or not. So I didn't. And I got bullied for not cutting my hair, even though it was one of our principles, which the hypocrisy of that just did my head in. Right. Um, but 
another principle was we weren't to wear makeup and then there were people that would slide into makeup and then again you'd get the bullied for not it's that it's that whole hypocrisy thing which was just <laughs> mind-blowing um but I, was, I saw quite by chance I saw a, a free boudoir shoot like you do and thought well that's a batshit scary thing to do <laughs> let's go but I've been out a few months now and I want to create a list of things I've never done and now can do. Okay, let's do it. But I wasn't really... So I was like, oh, I'm going to start off with... Because I'd got myself a really nice, genuine Grenadiers uniform, like the Changing of the Guards at Buckingham Palace, one of those red um, (laughs) jackets. And I was like, well, I'll start off with this red jacket because then at least a lot of me can be covered up. And then as we worked through the shoot, we worked on to lingerie. And then I didn't realise that she'd sneakily got in a topless. And it was a lot of fun. And then I started getting some... (laughs) What was that? Said cheeky. Yeah, yeah, very. Um, and then I started to get compliments on that. And it was having such a low self-esteem, having come out of all of that, it was it was like a boost, the boost I was looking for. And I was like, wow, okay, do you mean I actually can look good in front of the camera? And then it kind of went from there, really, um, and until I realised it was being detrimental to my self-esteem. Mm. Yeah, it could go both ways, hey. It's very interesting that yeah. that sort of industry. Um great hand, thanks. Well what about what what's your best um bit of advice for our listeners today that you've with with your incredible story? What advice would you give to anyone who's listening? I think it I think it's three pronged really. If you really want to get somewhere, you'd need to figure out who you are now the product of everything you've been through that you know no nobody gets out of childhood without being scarred in some way um so figure out who you are figure out who you actually want to be and then figure out a plan to get there great yeah agreed figure out who you are make a plan where you want to go go do it don't let anyone stop yeah. you in your tracks amazing well no time to give yeah I mean I am so excited I I'm I'm gonna read your book I haven't read it yet but I'm gonna read it <laughs> these boots <laughs> were made for walking by Jesse Shedden I shall put that in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to go purchase it um go support this amazing woman like seriously and if you're not reading books yet is it on audio or anything like that yet not yet, no. It's okay. just on the Kindle on the paperback. But I would like to say support, but actually I think do something for yourself. Because Absolutely. from what I'm hearing from the readers, it's what they take away for themselves. Of course. Always is, always is. <laughs> Goes both ways though, right? <laughs> it's always <laughs> yes. good to do both. Um, well, thank you so much, honey, for jumping on with us and sharing your, your, you know, your vulnerability and everything that you've been through. And um, I hope that you enjoyed the conversation as well. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Fleur. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and head on over to iTunes or your favourite podcast listener and give us a five-star review. Don't forget to join our free Facebook community called She's Unshakeable, where we get to share our tips and tricks and experiences with building courage, resilience and belief in ourselves. I look forward to meeting you in there.